It's that time again. Coming to you all the way from New York, New York. It's the Hollywood Godfather Podcast. Starring Gianni Russo, Megan Horan, and Pat Piccarelli. And now... Gianni. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And here we are again. Hollywood Godfather Podcast. And my cast is here with me. My cast of crew. Pat, good evening, my friend. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm unbelievable. Here we are again. And you know, at my age, I worry you're cheek. I'm sure you're going to show up or not. <laughs> <laughs> and Megan's here smiling and with a joyful face looking at me. So <laughs> what are we going to talk about tonight? Well, we touched on this briefly when we were closing our show last week. Uh, we mentioned the mafia cops, as uh, these two cops were uh, known as. The mafia cops, just to give the listeners a little background if they don't know who they are, so two NYPD detectives who were arguably the most corrupt police officers in American history. And over the next two episodes, we'll be going over their careers, if you can call them that. Uh, what they did and how they got away with it until obviously they were caught toward the end. But to give a little background on these uh, two people, they were both uh, both Italians. Uh, uh, Louis Eppolito, uh came on the job in a class after mine. I was in, uh, I was October '68, I believe. He was March '69. So we overlapped in the academy for a while. I knew him uh, during the academy days, but I also knew him afterward. Uh, I, I ran into him socially. Uh, he was a very, very outgoing guy, a big guy. Back then, he was a uh, bodybuilder, a professional. Uh, he actually became Mr. New York before he became. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was a professional bodybuilder, uh, and uh, but very gregarious guy. His goal in life was to be famous. Uh, to that end, uh, he was in quite a few. Uh, quite a few films. He was in Goodfellas. Uh, he, he played Fat Tony. He has uh, one word in the movie at the start when they're introducing everybody with a voiceover as uh, uh, they're walking through the bar. Everybody's saying hello. He's one of the people that says hello. He was in a movie called Prince of the City about a corrupt NYPD unit called the Special Investigation Unit. It was a true story and how appropriate uh, and he had a pretty big part in that. He had, a, he had a, a fairly big speaking part in that. And he was in uh, a movie called Bullets Over Broadway. I think that might have been a Woody Allen movie. He also had uh, a speaking part in that. But that was his goal. He didn't plan to be a cop forever. He was going to put his time in, get his pension, and retire a young man like we all did. We all retired in our, in our 40s, young, you know, early 40s. Caracapa, you know, it's, what's interesting, hand, what I'd like to let our audience know, too, only, only the only way I can relate to the guy, at, and early on in his life as a kid, he got rheumatic fever and he was hospitalized. So I, I think, didn't know that. Yeah, but his his ego—that's how he started to become a bodybuilder, and then he loved yeah. it, and he loved getting the attention that he did, and I guess his ego got so inflated, as our audience will find out, it um, it, it it went totally in the wrong direction, and. It, uh, it, Okay, no, but the other thing I wanted to interject also, that's why I think we all decided we actually need to do two shows 
because this is so colorful and it brings in so many people that well-known oh, yeah. people, especially Caso, you know, when uh, yeah. when he when he became the underboss of the Lucchese family, the, the murder count went up extremely, and these guys contributed to it. Oh, because of these guys, yeah. Eppolito's yeah. uh, uh, family were all mobbed off. His grandfather, his father, his uncles, everybody. And the his claim to fame was that uh, he was going to be a, p- a police officer to show that somebody from a family like that could be an honest cop. Mm. Uh, that was that was his uh, shtick. Now, a cop, on the let, other hand... Let me ask you a question, a too, cop. though. Yeah. While, while we're talking about that, I hate to do the comparison, but like you, his father had a bar too downtown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, a lot of my relatives were involved. Yeah, but let me ask you a question. I mean, look, oh, who's was? Those were the days. Oh, know? that was the day. I mean, that, that was a, that. Yeah. That's the thing I'm trying to point out. It was common knowledge or fact that the police were on the payroll. Everybody thought that's a normal Everybody thing. Everybody was. And then, you know, yeah, with, I, I, with I, you, I, my question to you, though, Pat. Did you yeah, ever yeah, get envelopes from your father to pay the police off? And maybe that's why I you wanted to become a cop. Once, <laughs> I, I think I had mentioned this once in a podcast, but I'm not sure. On Once a month on a Sunday, I was like 10 years old. I'm estimating 9, 10, 11. Uh, first of all, the bar was open 24-7, and it was right down the block from the 5th Precinct. It was on the corner of Bayard and Elizabeth. It's called the Red Rose. Mm-hmm. It was an Italian restaurant bar. It was a hangout. Cops, gangsters, judges. It was only two blocks from from the court. Uh, every every uh, well, once a month on a Sunday, I would get a shoebox. My father would give me a shoebox filled with business size number ten envelopes, the white envelopes, uh-huh. the long ones, yeah. stuffed with cash, and it would have names on them. And I would sit there at a table. The bar was open. It was you know early in the morning on a Sunday. You know there weren't very many people in there, but yeah. the cops would come in all day, except for the. For the, for the big boss, the boss, the captain, uh, that, yeah. that was a guy named Shea. He, he didn't show up. He had sent somebody. But all the cops would come in for their envelopes. And I did that month after month and hand, handed them out. I, I, I was 10 years old. I was bribing cops. I mean, <laughs> no, but the interesting uh, the thing is, when I, when I was doing the profile on Eppolito, I saw so many comparisons. I'm, I'm so happy you didn't, uh, selfishly, I'm saying this, I'm so happy you didn't follow his footsteps. Because you wouldn't need well, to write you know? our book. <laughs> well, I know. <laughs> I mean, I could have a, a private life that you don't know about. Well, he got 99 years in jail. You didn't. <laughs> no, true. They never caught me. But anyway, <laughs> but not, as you said, Johnny, those were the times. It was, it was, it was normal to have an entire precinct on a pad. Oh, you yeah. Know? And uh, I just thought it was just, you know, something I had to do on a Sunday. You know, it wasn't out of the ordinary. I didn't think anything of it. Never mentioned it to anybody because I was told not to. But uh, even though it just, you know, as soon as I walked out the door, I forgot about it. Now, Caracapa, on the other hand, was a burglar as a kid. Uh, he got caught and convicted once, uh, which is a felony. He decided to join the Army, went to Vietnam about the same time I was there, maybe two years later. Uh, and when he came out, he had menial jobs, decided he wanted to be a cop. Now, I can't get into his head 40 years ago, but I would imagine his sole goal was to be a rich cop. You know, I mean, his guy was a ruthless guy. And, uh, at the time it was during the Vietnam war and, uh, mayor Lindsay, who had gotten elected during that time, uh, had, had promised 3,500 additional cops. That was part of his platform. But well, he wins 
And now he's got to produce. He's got to, you know, show up with these 3,500 cops. That was one of his campaign promises. The only problem was being a police officer at that time was extremely unpopular, uh, and he couldn't get the cops. So what he did was he had what was known as walk-in tests, which was unheard of at the time. You had, in fact, even now, you have to jump through many hoops just to get an application. And then once you get the application, you fill it out, then you wait for the rest of your life before you can take the test. I mean, this can go on for years. Well, the, crime, his, the crime was uh, so high during John Lindsay's uh, rule here. Well, this is one of the reasons. And that's why they, the lowered, they hired, lowered the bar, yeah. The cops he hired were not vetted, including me. Uh, you know, you, you're supposed to get assigned to an investigator who you uh, sit down with uh, a, a few times before you get appointed to the academy, you know, sworn in. And they go over every part of your life. I mean, they were so uh, strict with me. Well, I didn't do anything wrong. I was, I was, I never got any trouble, but, uh, my birth certificate, my, my name on my birth certificate is not Patrick, it's Patsy. And I never knew that. I never saw my birth certificate. So when I applied, I put, maybe a mother down. wanted a girl. <laughs> they, well, we had, I had a sister named Patricia. So no, that's there you not go. Okay. All right. There you go. Yes, I, 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 I was a twin. My sister's name was Patricia. Anyway, uh, I was, I was taken to task for lying on my application. Wow. Because, uh, well, they figured they, they did a little bit of a background and they saw that a lot of my family members were connected and they figured I was trying to skate by not putting my real name down, which is bullshit. I mean, I just, I didn't know my real name as hard as that is to believe. I went in the army using Patrick and they didn't question it. It's on my door kegs, which oh. by the way, I'm still wearing. I have it around my neck now. Uh, but, uh, then all that changed. They needed cops so desperately uh, that they were just taking guys in the academy. Our copper was in that group, and they let him in with a felony conviction. Unheard of. I mean, it's it's just they were the right people or the wrong people, depending on how you look at it, at oh, the right yeah, time. Hello. And they got in. So let's fast forward to when we 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 talk about their uh, their career chronologically. They didn't know each other. Uh, uh, Eppolito worked in a precinct in, in uh, South Brooklyn, got a name for himself almost right off the bat. He was the typical uh, tough guy top. You know, for the time, it was very common. He used to beat the shit out of a lot of people. This was, his, this was the way he operated, but he got a good name in that he made a lot of arrests normally bringing people in horizontally rather than vertically. Uh, people respected him. They respected his family. And that's the way he operated. So he became a detective fairly quickly. He partners up with Caracapa. Uh, this was a match made in heaven for their purposes. So you want to you want to take it from there, Johnny? Or? Well, no, I mean, no, it's, it's a situation where when they started, as, as I heard no some knowledge of who these guys were just because you know they, they were around the the Gambino Lucchese family. Now uh Tommy Lucchese, Carlo Gambino's son, married Lucchese's daughter. And what was really interesting for the mob at that time of the five families in New York was that Having these two families merge made them the most powerful families in the United States and the richest. They had over yeah. a thousand members. They were yeah, they were taking that's huge. 
they were taking down five million dollars a month in the seventies and eighties. These were these were a thousand made guys. Yeah, and that's not counting the four or five thousand associates. So you know, knowing uh, and and the, the way they were, and little cases were known for nonviolence. They were smart business. Oh, really? Oh yeah, they controlled. They controlled like the ladies' garment industry and all of that. And the Gambinos had what they went with in construction. It was until later on, when when the old man stepped down, and it wasn't until really later on, when when the other boss went under, and they made Anthony Casso an underboss, and that was in 1986. Big mistake. The biggest mistake in the world because when he got convicted finally. He, he committed to 40 people he killed and 100 and something that he ordered killed. So, I mean, you're talking about for these two guys to hook up when they did, and we can get into how that happened, basically they were for hire. And he hired them on a couple of things early well, on. Castle's, Castle's solution to every problem was kill him. Kill him, oh yeah. I have a question what, about that, him, that, if you don't mind. Right. Oh, no, Why please. was his nickname Gaspipe? What was that about? Good question. He's, I'll tell you why. He started, he was the only mafia guy that started using gas pipe bombs. The gas pipe is one of the best pipes in the world. They're short. He capped them. And he and he would, uh, don't ask me how I know this. But, <laughs> but he would score the cap on the pipe. So it would be like a grenade. So once the uh, the plastics or dynamite even, that's how premature he was with it. Mm. That fuse went off. It would scatter that. And it was like a grenade going off and you could be, get killed by shrap metal. Oh. And the biggest mistake that he made, uh, well, he made two mistakes. They, they killed two different guys at two different times and killed the wrong guy. One was a meeting. Well, with, I yeah, that, was, yeah, that was the mafia cops problem. Yeah. And we'll get into that too, as we as, as yeah they as, knocked as we the wrong guy. That, that was one mistake. Yeah, yeah, but Casso was the one that did that hit, and the other hit that Casso did, because obviously him being from Lucchese and John Gotti was moving too fast in the Gambinos, and they were basically the same kind of energy, and uh, they went to Brooklyn for a meeting, John Gotti and Frankie Boyd De Chico. He was a uh, his father was Boozy DeChico, a good friend of mine. In fact, Pat and I wrote about him in the book. He was at the bar yeah, the night yeah. when uh, Jimmy Kahn came over and told me to go see Junior Persico wow. in the back. So the history of these guys, I know them, I knew of them. And, you know, Casa was nobody to fool around with, obviously. But um, with that said... Okay, they, okay yeah. But Casa didn't enter the picture until a little bit later with these guys. What they started oh, to yeah. do was uh, every cop has access to what's known as an NCIC computer, National Crime Information Center. And every officer has a PIN number to get into these computers. And it basically tells everything about everybody. Not only arrests, which as a private investigator, I'm not supposed to have. I just get convictions, which is, which is legal for me to obtain. An NCIC computer has a history of virtually everybody that's ever been fingerprinted. So what they started to do was to sell information to the Lucchese's. And uh, uh, th th that's how this entire thing started. Then, Epolito gets jammed up. 
they arrested a uh, mob guy who had in his possession NYPD confidential reports. Well, let's back up one they, minute. Let's back up okay, on that. Because th- there's one piece of, uh, we should let our audience in on what we know. <laughs> what happened was, as you said, they were given the records. And why the Lucchese's really wanted this information, they knew they had a rat inside their own camp. And Eppolito, Capacasa, uh, how do you say his name? Caracapa. Caracapa. That's interesting. Caracapa. I don't like that Caracapa. Anyway, Caracapa, <laughs> they were selling the information where their clubs were bugged, whose cars were bugged. Yeah, everything, yeah. They were selling that information. So it wasn't just on who's you know who they're investigating. So they were like no. a, a grocery store. What do you want to buy? So, I mean, it was as amazing because yeah, I mean, nobody was going to get arrested on that group anymore. No, they came up with uh, future indictments. They came up with potential bugs, arrest warrants, everything. And the cops were scratching their heads. I mean, they had no idea how this information was getting leaked until they got this one particular confidential report with Epolito's fingerprint on it. Now, the only way for his fingerprint to get on it was obviously for him to touch it. This was a confidential report now in the hands of a Lucchese-made guy. So they don't charge him criminally. They charge him through the police department. The police department has their own uh, crime and punishment. They've got what's known as the trial room. And if you get charged with a infraction of uh, departmental rules, for some reason, the DA wouldn't touch this, uh, and it went, it went to the trial room. And the, the judges in the trial room are political appointees. They're not real judges. Most of them are attorneys, but they don't know the law like, like judges know the law. They're not as, uh, you know, conversant with the mob. They just get your average run-of-the-mill crooked cop. Something like this was out of the ordinary. The judge, in this case, got confused and thought that the fingerprint that they lifted from this confidential report was not an original print. They mixed it up with existing prints, and it was a copy of Epolito's print. How this happened to this day, nobody knows. But the bottom line was, Epolito beat it. However, they split up Epolito and Caracapa. Epolito goes to the 84th Detective Squad. Uh, uh, rather, uh, Epolito goes to the uh, Brooklyn South Homicide Squad. Epolito goes to the 84th Detective Squad. Caracapa goes to the 84th Detective Squad. So now what you got is a double whammy. They're in two different places, and they can get twice as much information. And the whole system starts over again, but they weren't working together. So they got two sources of information now. Right. And, and I mean, their, their knowledge and, and the access to the knowledge that the mob wanted was, was you know, uh, totally against the code of what they're supposed to be doing. Is pro- oh, this is... Protecting. I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, they really... You know, if you're going to have corrupt cops, what they were doing, selling information has been done since there's been police departments, you know, uh, maybe not to the extent that these guys were doing it, but some way, shape or form, this has always been done. You have to watch your information. That's why everybody's got their own pin numbers, et cetera, et cetera, but it still leaks. What happened was to change the course uh, of, of their future. In 1985, a Jewish wise guy by the name of Bert Kaplan, uh, he, this guy was a real gangster, you know, from the old uh, Brownsville Murder Incorporated days. This guy uh, uh, walked the walk and talked the talk, a real gangster. 
he connects with Caracapa and Epolito. Uh, you know, he, he uh, was friends with uh, uh, Gas Pipe and he knew about them. So he approaches them and says, look, I got a problem with this jeweler. His name is uh, Aaron Greenwald. Uh, who he thought was going to be a rat in something that, uh, that uh, Kaplan was doing. So he asked, and he, this guy, uh, 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 Greenwald, was very wary, and uh, Kaplan wanted him out of the way, but he didn't want to, uh, wanted to frighten him into maybe talking faster and sooner. So he sends, or he asks, Caracapa and Epolito to go talk to this guy uh, about something involved in police work. While they're there, they grab him, uh, they, they bring uh, Greenwald to a garage. They wait out, the cops wait outside. They didn't kill him. Somebody else killed him, buried him in the floor of the garage. Well, so the, that's what the, they that's, forced the owner of the garage. The owner of the yeah. garage was in debt to Lucchese. Right. He owed the money. They forced the owner of the garage to dig the hole and bury the guy themselves. Now, if they were true killers, that guy would have been dead too. That guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, at that time they they weren't. They were they were doing okay. They were getting they, they were getting paid basically by the piece. Right, but they were you getting know, a lot of money. Plus, they, they wanted a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they got thirty thousand on two two different hits that we know about. Well, they got they got thirty thousand from a guy named Ralph Santoro or Santoro. Did you, did you know him? Yeah, <laughs> that's how I knew. Okay. <laughs> Okay, he was the guy who was involved with the Aaron Greenwald hit. So was that he the first 30, hit 000. that they did? No. They didn't do it. They went, they, 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 they delivered. That they were they involved in. Okay. To the Which place is where the he same was thing. going to get killed. Santora gets 30000 Obviously, the cops got something. Uh, at first, they started out. That, at first, so our audience well, is following. At first, they started out because of their badges and... The, the capability of just pulling someone over. They'd throw that bubble on top of their unmarked cars because they were detectives. And you would just pull over because, you know, the, the, the cops the pulling cops. you over. Yeah. They show their shield. And basically, they were started out just delivering people to people. And that was it. Yeah. And then uh, something fortuitous happened if you can call it that, there was an attempted hit on gas pipe. Uh, he was coming out of his house and guys uh, try to kill him. I read the story in, in the book of, of Mafia Cops. He's eating an ice cream cone at the time and they try to kill him. He actually runs and makes, makes his escape with the ice cream cone in his hand. You know, I mean, he, he just, he, he took off, ran into somebody's, uh, somebody's business and he, he escaped the attempted hit. But you don't anger Anthony Casso. I mean, this he was incensed. Now he, he wants to get the guys who got who were involved in this attempted hit. So he re remembers these cops' names. He get, gets a hold of Epolito and Caracapa, and he says, I'll make it worth your while if you find out who did the hits, the, the attempted hit, and deliver these people to me. So the first guy. Uh, was a guy named Jimmy Heidel. Yep. Uh, now, Heidel was an associate, not being Italian. And the cops have the perfect cover. They work in the area. The 8-4 is in Brooklyn, and uh, Brooklyn South Homicide is obviously in Brooklyn. 
they weren't working as, as partners, but to do these deeds, they got in an unmarked car together, and they did what they had to do in this particular case to go to Heidel's house. Uh, they waited for him to come out, and uh, they drive away with him. Now, while this is going on, Heidel's mother is watching all this, and she knows what her son does and what he's involved with, and I guess his involvement with the police was, wasn't really out of the ordinary. Well, she had and a younger son, too, Johnny Heidel. That was also involved. Yeah, well, at, at, at least he wasn't involved in this. But she right. watches her son go off with these cops thinking that they're going to do what they got to do. If he gets arrested, he'll make bail and he'll be home in time for dinner. Well, he never shows up again because the two cops uh, wind up dropping Heidel off to Castle. Castle tortured him to get the names of the other people, which he did. He tortured him for days, I understand. Yeah, days. Plus, you know, something different, Johnny. No, they t- uh-huh. actually he, he, he tortured him about two or three days. I mean, yeah. he shot him a couple of places in his body. He was cutting him up, and uh, and the guy finally gave up. And then then he unloaded his gun in his head. But that uh, must have hurt. Yeah, not only that, but yeah. it's uh, you know it's it's the story is so insane that we're we're talking about cops. We're talking about cops. I know. It's just, I mean, I was on that job for 20 years, and this shocked even me. I mean, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but eventually uh, Jimmy, the brother, got whacked too, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay, yeah. Later no, on. He went. We're going too fast. Anyway. <laughs> we're we're crossing too many lead. bridges. No, we have so much to talk well, about. This is going to lead. Yeah. Well, Jimmy—he's just an aside. He wasn't involved right. in this, but he, he gets—he gets killed anyway because that's what happens if you're in this life. Sometimes, right? Casso now sees the value in Epolito and Caracapa and puts them on what's known in police parlance as a pad, which is a systematic payment at at, at uh, any given time that you uh, agree to. So in this particular case, it was four thousand dollars a month each, whether they did work or they didn't do work. It was like a retainer got the money. if they were lawyers. It was just on the payroll. <laughs> yeah. And I'll be uh, Yeah, well, that's a, that's a very good analogy, by the way. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but anyway, they got they got 30000 for 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 fingering uh, Idell. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I guess we, we could finish off with the Nicky Guido story uh this was a tragedy <laughs> oh, this one of the hitters guy. the attempted hitters was nicky guido guido you want to take it from there gianni well yeah well nicky guido was a guy that was uh first of all they didn't really have his right name so they went into the police files and they found a nicky guido caracapa and epolito and they delivered well, the- caracapa caracapa is the one that got the name but he said you know, Guido is a fairly co- a common Italian name. Right. He said, let me let me uh, do some more background to make sure we got the right guy, but it's going to cost you extra. And Gas Pipe Wouldn't pay didn't it. want to spend the extra money. He says, hey, his name is Nicky Guido. That's the guy. So Caracopper and Epolito, who weren't getting paid any extra money, said, you know, they backed off. It was Caracopper that pulled the name out of, out of a police computer which would come back to, to bite him later. So go ahead. So what happened is now Gas Pipe said, we don't need these guys. We'll follow them. So they start tracing this guy down. They follow him. And he's, he's outside 
showing his brother-in-law, don't ask me how I know this, showing his brother-in-law his new car. And they riddle this guy to bullets, kill him. And, it's and he, he actually guy. protected yeah, he, oh, that's right. he jumped on top of his brother-in-law because he didn't want him to get he hurt. Saved his life. Yeah. And he saved his life. Only they shot the wrong guy. They shot the wrong Nicky Guido. Yeah, but, which is funny. Not funny, but I mean, in this situation. It's ironic. Let's call it ironic. It's ironic because now they just uh, basically certified their positions to do this from now on because... It was a joke almost with the mob that, you know, they killed a guy and they, they were going to do it without them and they killed the wrong guy. And the guy they want is so, still out there. So, so, uh, this this uh, Nicky Guido, was a, the other Nicky Guido, by the way, didn't live anywhere around uh, New York City. He lived in upstate New York yeah, somewhere. Upstate. I mean, they, they, really, they really screwed this up. But Caracapa told and he went back to him. He said, look, I told you, let me, let me run the name. Let me do some more background. Let me make sure you told me no. And he, and, and he leaves it at that. It's like you're saying, Johnny, now Caratop is telling them, now you know our value. And, uh, so they weren't going to do anything without these cops anymore. Right, right. I think we should leave it with that and go to the mailbag. And then uh, yeah, we're going to the The end of this, ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, I don't know who else we have to address politically correct now, but anyway... Um, where this goes, you're not going to believe. And we're only into like... Uh, uh, half of it. Yeah, half of it. Because Bird Kaplan, everybody flips on each other. Everybody gets sentences you can't believe. Wait for it. No, but uh, that's why we feel we have to, we had to do this in a two-parter. But, yeah, we have to develop because it gets a, a little confusing. But it's, uh, it, it's, it's amazing how this winds up. And we're going to tell... That story and how they got themselves, and believe me, this isn't even the beginning of how they got themselves involved. They get deeper and deeper and deeper into this. Yeah. Where they, where they actually become hitmen. But we'll, we'll, we'll tell that in a second. I'll leave it on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's go to the mail. All right. Let's do it. So the first question is from Sebastian for Gianni. Sebastian says, Marilyn Monroe was very close with and was taught by the legendary Lee Strasberg, who played the role of Hyman Roth in The Godfather 2. Because of your connection to her, did she introduce you to him? If so, did he ever give you private lessons slash share his acting methods with you? No, not at all. In fact, uh, my four years of Marilyn in the relationship and friendship we had, she came to New York that year, particularly to study with um, Lee Strasberg because she didn't want to be a sex symbol anymore. And that's when she studied here and got very friendly with the family, stayed with them. And I used to see her in the, in the shadows. She, I was never introduced to anybody. In fact, uh, I hate to say this, but even in 1973, when Costello went to his grave, he never knew I had a relationship with her other than looking in on her on that weekend at the Waldorf. So I, I didn't have any uh, pleasures, and I had no scenes even in Godfather 2 with them, so I never got a, a, an opportunity to discuss it. All right, so next one is from Leonard for Gianni, kind of similar topics. Leonard asks, would you ever consider acting again? I'm acting right now. 
<laughs> I never gave up acting. <laughs> I'm on stage every minute of my life. <laughs> uh, yeah. Good. I, I, I'm I'm definitely considering acting in a big way. In fact, I'm making a debut uh, February 9th on a Sunday afternoon. I am debuting Hollywood Godfather book in a one-man show. It's in uh, Roslyn, New York, if you're in the area, at um, my father's place, which is an amazing supper club. I knew nothing about it. And that is where I'm breaking the show in. And then I'm going to a 1,500-seat theater, Fairview Casino and Resort, Niagara Falls, to carry this on. So I'll be acting, doing vignettes. It's a 75-minute show that indirectly Pat wrote <laughs> with me. <laughs> I'll expect my check in the mail. Yeah, you definitely right. will have it, believe me. I can't uh, wait for that. Where is, where, is the, where is the Fairview Casino and Resort? It's in Niagara Falls. Okay. But and I'll be coming. What date are you going to be there? I'm there on uh, February 7th, a Saturday night. But then I'm traveling all through. I was just contacted by Resorts International in Las Vegas. I mean, in uh, Atlantic City, which is ironic because that's where I made my singing debut as the opening act for Don Rickles many, many years ago. And it's crazy that the guy who hired me for that and then for hiring me for Trump Marina is Tom Cantone, who is now the national booker for sports and entertainment for all the Mohican Sun casinos. See, again, God blessed me. And so I'll be going all over the place, but I'll be at Mafia Comic-Con in Atlantic City during April doing the same show. You're all over the place. Yeah, but so to answer you, I'm acting and I'm rehearsing acting right now, doing a 75-minute show, which I've never done live it's like Broadway to me, so it's going to be fun. That's awesome. And who knows, one day, you might be doing Broadway. Who's to say, right? Well, uh, there's interest in that already, too, so that's <laughs> yeah. crazy. That, that's why I brought it up. Yeah. The book right. in every form possible. <laughs> yes, okay. perfect. All right, so the next one is from Karen for Gianni. Karen says, I was wondering if there's any significance regarding the pin you wore in the Patrick Bet David Valutainment interview. Do you know which one that would be? Yes, I definitely. It's the only pin I wear. It's in my lapel. It's my great-grandfather's pen, pin. And fortunately, it got to me. And uh, it's one of my most treasured pieces of jewelry. All my jewelry has a significance. Like my necklace, Pope John Paul gave me. My great-grandfather, as I said, gave me this. He was a knight of Malta. The knights of Malta, primitive time, during the Vatican, they protected the popes. They lived in the inner part of that. My grandfather and grandfathers and ancestors have always been very involved with the Vatican. Fortunately, that's how me and my partner, Nick Nitty, got involved with the, <laughs> the, the Vatican in a different way. But um, that's what that pen, pen means, and it's very significant. And now I have nine sons and nine grandsons all vying who's going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so if you haven't seen the pin we're talking about, you'll have to check out the interview, which is now, which I, I can will. say, at 910000 Yeah. What are we going to do for a million? Are we going to celebrate? I, of course. <laughs> any, excuse, any excuse for a party, man. That's true. Yeah. 
And then what she's po- pointing out, again, we have to thank Patrick Bet David for giving us so much recognition. He came to my house with a, a camera crew. We never met, met each other. And he cut, which I call is a documentary on Johnny Russo. It's like an hour and a half. Yeah. It's the it, final it, cut it's of crazy. the interview. Yeah. And I do wear the pin everywhere. So if you see me on the streets, that pin will be in my lapel. <laughs> Got to look out for it. All right, so the next one is an interesting one. This is from Julia for both Pat and Gianni. Julia asks, if you could eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Gianni, I feel like I know your answer. Pat, you go first, buddy. He <laughs> likes waiting with white clam sauce. I don't even have to think twice. Oh, wow. Pasta lavongole bianco. <laughs> that, that's you, that's one of my I favorites. If, I, if I'm doing any traveling and I, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a strange city, I wind up at an Italian restaurant, that's how I judge the quality of the restaurant. That's a good way to do it, man. Yeah. Because it's very, very rarely fresh. Yeah. They always use canned, most of the time, it's canned clams, and I can can tell right away. Well, you should be changing those restaurants, because there's no reason to have canned clams or everywhere. I know. I know. What about you, Jan? How about you? Well, I mean, I would have to say that's one of my top, so. I love pasta, so. I know you do. Pasta Gongo Bianca is the best. Make sure the pasta's al dente, and I like white sauce. You like red or white, Pat? Yes. The white. The uncle, <laughs> not roast. Both. Yeah. yeah no, hey, I'm Italian, man. I, can, I, I actually eat spaghetti for breakfast. That's great. Oh, I'm sure you do. That's <laughs> why I'm in the great shape I am. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that's my secret. Anybody now wants to know? I know why you go that's to the gym secret. every day. That's the secret. I don't, even, I don't even have to go to the gym. All I have to do is, is eat spaghetti for breakfast for the rest of my life. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I just go to the gym to get out of the house for a few hours. That's all. <laughs> It's the pasta that does it. You hear me, everybody? You want to be healthy? Pasta. Pasta. Perfect. There you go. All right, so this this next question is relevant to this topic as well. So Gino asks, I'm coming to NYC for the first time. I'm going to Little Italy. I was wanting some recommendations for the best food slash restaurants there. Also some good spots to check out that might not be so touristy. Wow, there's so many. I mean, you know. Yeah. That's tough. The the old restaurants, I, I would think, Gianni, the best, no? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Umberto's is still operating, but not down on the corner. It used to. Uh, after they cleaned up, after uh, Crazy Joe Gallo's killing, they moved up the block. Oh. They still have great seafood. I mean, they were but known for seafood then. And still, Robert, his nephew, Matty, Matty the Horse, his nephew, runs it, and he runs it like his uncle. Angelo's, I don't care when, when you, if, whenever you come back, it should be open by this spring. They had a terrible fire, but Angelo's was one of the classics. And Lamella will always be my favorite. It's still there. Right? And and if you like pastry, where do you go? Oh, Ferrara. Forget about it. There you go. <laughs> now, the only way, I got to correct one thing now. Somebody, yeah. somebody, a very close friend of mine, Baby John, Cafe Palermo, has been voted the best cannoli in the world. In the world. So if you want a cannoli... Go to go to Ferrari for Sfriadels and everything else. Wow. But yeah. go have the cannoli. And, and they're all on Mulberry Street, other than Ferraris on uh, Grand Street. When yeah. are you coming? Let us know. <laughs> you make meet up. You, you guys, you, you, you're making me hungry, man. Yeah. <laughs> all go right. Ahead. Next one is from Donnie for both Gianni and Pat. Donnie asks, what would you say is your single greatest accomplishment? It's a tough one. Me? Yeah. Surviving, and I, I, I assume Johnny will say the same thing. Well, yeah, that I mean, that's 
my my greatest accomplishment. I think we spoke about this one, Pignoli. Getting out of the hospital. Oh yeah, that's I didn't think I was going to get out of Bellevue. I was there five years, and uh, the odds were against you, my friend. Oh my God, no! Tell me about it. I watched twenty-something yeah. kids die over a five-year period, which doesn't sound like a lot, but if you're laying there next to them, it's a lot of people. Mm. And most people never see anybody die. But uh, sure. th- that that to me, and it's still my, my drives me every day. Like, you know, today I did three miles walking, and I don't know how many guys at my age are doing that, but now that I'm mobile, I ain't stopping. And with me, it was surviving Vietnam, surviving 20 years in the NYPD, and surviving 25 years in boring southwestern Pennsylvania, which almost killed me. Yeah. Hmm. I can understand that. <laughs> yeah. I'm a New Yorker, man. This is, uh, this is entirely foreign to me. You know, like PA, Pat? But, but are you exiled out there? Why, why can't you come back? Uh, oh, I, Susan, I, like I forgot. I mentioned this, but I'm, I'm in the witness protection program, and this is where they sent me. Mm. They must have really hated Philly. me. <laughs> what, what's that? said so you should have gone to Philly. Oh, I Philly's five hours from here. I'm, I'm in the middle of nowhere, literally. Yeah. yeah. Wow. All right. Well, on that note, I think we should wrap it up for this one. No, we could do a couple more. A couple no. more? All right. Yeah. Sounds good. No, is it? Do we do, do we do 50 minutes already? <laughs> I don't think so. We need a couple I, minutes. I'll tell, tell you where we are. Tell me. I don't tell even us. know where we are. Now I got it. All right. Next we're, one. We're 41 minutes. Yeah. See? Okay. Next I, one I is. I got a clock in my head. <laughs> All right, it's from Christina for Pat. Christina asks, how many books have you written total and which was the most fun to write? Well, I think the answer to the last part is, is obvious, otherwise I wouldn't be here. Uh, I never had a better time, and I'm not just saying this because I am here, writing this book. It was not only because I met you guys, but Johnny turned out to be a very valued friend, but for me it was like a stroll down memory lane. We knew so many of the same things. We shared so many of the same things together, know the same people. So this was without a doubt, not even close to anything else I ever wrote. This was the most fun book I've ever written. And to answer the first part of the question, I've written probably 13 or 14 books and I've uh, published eight. So what book are you talking about, Pat? Just in case our audience don't know. uh, Some old, uh, some old (laughs) retired actor uh, thinks he's famous. I don't know. No, I'm talking about the Hollywood title Godfather, of the book. Not the- My Life in the Movies and the Mob, those of you who haven't read it, and there aren't many of you left, uh, it's still doing extremely well. And uh, it's, I, I just felt, I feel very fortunate to have, you know, to, to have been involved in this, in, in this project that, uh, that you acquiesced to say, okay, write the book, kid. <laughs> and, and we did. Yeah. We, we wrote a great book together, and I... I I, you know, I continue to reread this book. Do you do that, or is it, is it just me? Uh, no, I don't do that. I, I lived it. I mean, I've got copies left, and, uh, you know, if I'm going to give a copy away or something, I've got a copy in the car, I'm stuck at a light, or I've got a couple of minutes to spare. I op- uh, open up the book to no place in particular, and I start reading it, and I, it just amazes me that we put that book together in a period of time that we did without even meeting each other. Yeah, that's wild. Think about that. No, that's, believe me. That's unheard of. I think about it anyway. a lot. Here we right. are. Hmm. And, and, and we're not done with this. I mean, we're, this book is going to oh, be... No, we're not done. This is, I mean, you know, I compare, I'm going to do a comparison that most of you are going to think I'm, I'm uh, brash 
and and a braggart, and I am. Oh, you? And I am. That's why I was clarifying it. I compare <laughs> this to a book that came out in 1969 that Mario Puzo wrote, and we all know what I'm talking about, and we're still talking about that. Fortunately, no, this is. I think that's where. In in, in in one of our reviews, we were compared to that book. You know. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, we were. I thought I told you that. No. Yeah. No, that's a, that's an honor. Yeah, uh, I think so. To be in that company. Absolutely. So Great what company. else, my dear? All right. So there's one from someone named Jordan for both Gianni and Pat. Jordan asks, what place would you love to travel to that you haven't yet? Wow. Wow. I haven't. If I didn't go, that means I didn't want to go. If hmm. any place I wanted to go, I would have been there. No, uh, it's funny. That's I never thought of that. Where do I want to go? Well, you can think about that while I answer this. And this might sound odd, but I'm, a- I'm asked this often. And my answer is North Korea. Really? That is odd. Now, now don't get me wrong. I want to visit it, but I, I want to come home. You know, I, I mean, uh, you know, it's not, it, it, it isn't the place where I want to go where they're going to say you can't go home. No. But I, 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 would, I would like to go there just to go there to see what, I mean, that's, you know, they, they have their own little universe there. I mean, that's the most cut-off country in the world. I know. I'd like to walk we're... the streets. I'd like to talk to people there. I mean, not that they'd let me, but uh, that's something I would like to do. With that answer, how long would you like to stay? More than 24 hours? <laughs> uh, no, I, could, I tell you, I, I imagine a week, maybe. Wow, okay. You know, they, they, uh, I have read about people who have gone. You can't fly directly to North Korea from here, but you can fly to China right. and take a, uh, a, a Chinese airline to North Korea. They take your phone call, your, your cell phone upon arrival. I know that. No, and I, I, while they have that, a uh, tourist type system, you are assigned to a guide and not, you, they don't stray from you. They, but, they're with you for the whole time you're there. And not only that, when you get off that plane holding in China, you are yeah. locked in Everybody on that plane, including the crew, stay in a room for four hours and sometimes longer if there's any problems with your credentials. That's Yeah, they're very, very paranoid. Very tight. They don't want you there. And meanwhile, I think it takes that long for them to go through your luggage. (laughs) Yeah, more than likely. So we've given you some time to uh, to think about this. Where would you think you'd like to go that you haven't been? I, I don't I don't have any uh I've been to so many places that I know places I, I want to go back I, I yeah. don't I don't really know I mean you know I, well, I where'd you like I'm, to go back to I'd probably go back to Israel I like Israel just because of Bethlehem and being so religious that I am and um I don't know I mean I I need to go back to every place I love especially Positano and Capri and all my family and everybody's getting older my aunt's 103 now and living in Puglia. So th- those kind of places I want to go back. But I got so much work in the next four years. I'm tied yeah. up until, I, I can't believe I'm about to say this. I'm tied up until I'm 81 years old. That's, Busy man. Well, that's scary. Not man. too many people, not, hey, you know, not too many people can say that. Yeah. You, you had a hell of a life, kid. Thank God. I'm glad you called me kid, continues. Yeah. That's my favorite name. Mr. Costello gave it to me mm-hmm. when I was 13. That's what I, why I said it. Yeah. Your life continues unabated. Good luck. Well, we're going to go now. And uh, thank you again for all you being here. 
We need your cards and letters. We need you subscribing. We're now on Spotify. We're getting more mail than we ever did. And you can tell we answer it. We had a guest come the last show who came from San Diego just to meet us. Rita, we want to do a shout out to you and your family. Thank you. And there'll be a new show up next Wednesday. (laughs) Until then, God bless you all. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. My name is Megan Horan. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Regarding Gianni's motivational speaking appearances, you can visit his website, giannirusso.com. You can also visit amazon.com for a listing of books Patrick Picciarelli has written. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather Podcast, as well as leave us a review on iTunes. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails and voicemails. Good night.